The Director of Climate Change at the Pacific Community, or SPC, says the region is getting a fraction of the climate financing it needs. Coral Pasisi says Pacific nations need two billion US dollars annually to mitigate climate impacts, but only says two hundred and twenty million dollars. Ms. Pasisi also says Pacific nations' climate mitigation promises, called nationally determined contributions, are important despite the region's carbon emissions being insignificant on the global scale. She speaks with Caleb Fotheringham. Pacific countries need to set national determined contributions because they're parties to the convention, right? So that is a requirement for many reasons. Initially, this was about ensuring that countries could say what they are doing to help mitigate climate change. So originally this was about ensuring that the collective effort of countries can be calculated to see how we're changing the greenhouse gas total emissions. So it seemed to be a little bit less important for our small island states because they contribute so little. But in reality, when the world is moving from carbon-based energy systems and technologies to renewables, our countries cannot be left on the wrong side of that technology change in the world because it will have huge implications if we remain dependent on fossil fuel, which is volatile and takes up huge portions of our government's bills, budgets, we will always be crippled by the fuel challenge. Uh, So we do need to move to an energy secure future and renewables are it. If we don't, we will become the dumping ground of obsolete technology as we have been for many years. When the world went digital and phone technology, we bought up all the analog phones for a dollar piece and then they were obsolete the following year and ended up in our rubbish dumps. The same thing happened with combustion engines when the cars became more fuel efficient. All of the cheap engines came down to the Pacific because that's what we could afford. The same thing has happened with fuel generators as well. We cannot continue to do that. We need to have progressive policies that help us shift to green energy just as the rest of the world does. And we have to walk the talk. If we want the rest of the world to move in the right direction of uh, reducing greenhouse gas emissions, then our countries have taken a very strong stance that they will lead by example. As we get closer to COP, what are the Pacific's main priorities at the meeting? Yeah, I mean, this this year is a big year for transparency, to make sure that we get an accurate idea on the total commitments that countries are making and where we are in the greenhouse gas emissions budget so that we know more accurately what we need to urgently focus on. The establishment of the loss and damage fund is also a very critical one. Um, Of course, this is a fund that our members have been asking for for nearly 30 years. And again, this has been led by one of our countries, Vanuatu, was very strong in this right from the outset. All the leaders have come behind this, years of negotiations to get to this point. But even if we get an agreement on that fund, from my experience and being a part of the transitional committee to, dis- to develop the Green Climate Fund, it takes another five years to set up all the institutional arrangements, policies, before you even become operational. Then you've got to educate country. It, that's a good eight to ten years before you actually start building a pipeline. We don't have enough time for that. So we need to, yeah, beyond 
these global movements. We need to start looking at regional ones, sub-regional ones and national ones that will get resources into countries immediately. Are Pacific nations getting enough climate financing right now? No. There's a short answer to that. We are vastly underserved in access to climate finance. And it's not just NDCs, it's their national adaptation plans as well, which have been in place for a while. You know, there's a $100 billion promise. Our region needs at least $2 billion a year. That's a very small portion. There's only 2% of the global promise that we we could do with. What we're accessing is $220 million a year, which is less than 0.22% not even 1% of the global promise, and yet our countries are on the front line of the implications of climate change. That's less than 7% of what they need. So there is a huge injustice in the impact that our countries are receiving when they haven't caused this issue, and then the onus requirements in order to access those funds. So I look at it this way, simply and quite without any diplomatic sugar coating (coughs) this is a polluter pays issue right climate finance is provided by countries who have caused the majority of climate change our countries contribute so little to that it's negligible but they are on the front line of receiving that in what scenario does a polluting paid commitment able to dictate so stringently the ability to access those funds that those affected so greatly by it are not even able to get those funds to spend. And all the rules that come around accessing that are used to prevent the fair disbursement of those resources and use of those resources. And I always go back to a very simple example. If a ship hit your country that has a foreign flag and the oil from that destroyed your property and you know it's going to be stuck in your birds and fish life for decades who's going to who's who foots the bill for that it's not your country it's the flag state nation of the ship that because that is a cross-border pollution that is caused by someone else so you don't as a country have to pay for the capacity to deal with that it's the people who cause that pollution so in this instance it almost feels like the people who have caused the pollution are tying so many requirements around that fund that our countries can't even access it to be able to build their capacity to strengthen their systems for the flow of more money. And that's why I always try to reiterate that climate finance is not aid. It is not ODA. That is a completely different source of funds. It should have different principles of access and management. I'm not saying that we should have an, an open bucket that all the money comes in because we still, at country level, we have, or have to make sure that the money gets to the communities that need it. So there definitely has to be strengthening of our mm. systems of management. But I think there should be a much higher risk level taken by people who give climate finance 